Welcome back to Moments That Matter. Today, well, it's gonna be a bit of an experiment. Normally we have authors come on Moments That Matter and talk to us about a book of theirs that's just been published. We try to get their backgrounds, how they came to write, because we really wanna understand the decisions that are made along the way that have long-term consequences in our lives. Today though, we're gonna take a different tack and we're gonna view the writing process from the beginning rather than the end. Sometimes authors will publish an outline or a few pages or a chapter online and ask for reader reactions. Well, we're gonna do something similar with an idea Paul just had for a book that came to him just this week. That's right, folks, crackling fresh. He only has the barest outline for the book and hasn't yet written a single word. But we're going to have a conversation about this book, and we ask that you join us in this discussion as he shares what he believes God has given him so far. So let us begin. Paul, one thing that people always ask authors is about their inspiration. Tell me, how did this idea come to you exactly? Well, this was unique. This has not happened to me before. I was woken up at 3.30 in the morning, I believe by God, and I had this idea. And typically what I would do in this situation is I would roll back over and I would go back to sleep. Uh, but there was just this still small voice that said, you need to get up and write this thing down because for sure you're going to forget. And given my advanced age, you know, I had to agree with the voice. And so I got up, I wrote out this pretty limited outline, and then I went back to bed. Um, so I can't say, as I said, you know, that this has ever happened to me before. It may never happen again, but that's how this one happened. This is amazing. And I kind of feel like I should ask, did the Lord have a word for me in there or maybe say something to you that I also needed to hear? Uh, how do you normally get inspiration for your writing? Well, as you and I have talked endlessly, we are both polymaths and uh, we are just interested in many, many different things. Uh, and the thing that I like to do, uh, one of the joys of my life is to be able to synthesize things that are seemingly on the surface, you know, they don't have anything to do with each other. Uh, you know, like I, as an example, I used to teach a math history course. Uh, math and history for me go together. Uh, for a lot of people, they don't. And so uh, that kind of combination to me is very synergizing and energetic um, and gets me going. So I like to consider all these different things that I have going on in my life, these various interests that I have. And every once in a while, things will kind of cross each other's path. And uh, that is when inspiration hits. And uh, so I'll just give a quick example that has nothing to do with what we're actually talking about today, but that is a fiction novella that I've mostly finished. Uh, I wanted to try my hand at fiction, but I had absolutely no idea what to write about, or how to write it or anything else like that. But one thing I knew is I teach ethics a lot. I teach it at the undergrad level, master's and doctoral level. And so I thought, well, I certainly must be able to use that, you know, to some purpose in writing besides just academic writing. 
And it just occurred to me that two people could be having a conversation basically about ethics. And from that conversation uh, came this entire story of the novella. So that's just something that I really, really enjoyed. Well, I have to confess, I'm a little bit of a mystic. And when you texted me this week that you had this idea that struck in the middle of the night, immediately I was intrigued because I said, this has got to be something good. Um, occasionally, I have heard of people keeping notepads beside their bed, or um, I, I know especially with people who are in touch with their dreams, they're to keep a dream journal beside their bed so that when they're struck with a moment of inspiration, they can wake up and jot it down. Uh, is that a practice that you have found somewhat in the past, or was this really just out of the blue? I have never done that in my life. Wow. Uh, so this was, yes, absolutely out of the blue, and I don't know if it will ever be repeated again. <laughs> well, let's drill down into what it was that roused you from your sleep in the middle of the night. Um, who are the main characters in this next book idea that you've been hit with? Okay, so there are four characters, and uh, basically there are two pairs of characters. And the pairs would make a lot of sense if you knew these people in history. Uh, but to put all four of them together, that is perhaps the new idea. So uh, one pair is C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, who were friends, uh, friends ever before they published their first work. And uh, the other pair is John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And they were obviously also friends, uh, had success together as the Beatles, uh, along with a couple of other guys. And uh, so the thing that woke me up in the middle of the night uh, is the fact that they actually have something in common. Um, and the, what they, the thing that they have in common is that they all lost their mother at, uh, fairly early ages. Um, so uh, for C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, they were, of course, you know, they were born in the late 1800s. Uh, and so the, their loss was actually pre-World War I. Tolkien lost his mother at 12, when he was 12, and Lewis lost his mother when he was 10. Uh, Lennon and McCartney, uh, came along later, they would have actually been the next generation, even perhaps two generations from Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, they were born in the 1940s. Uh, McCartney lost his mother at age 14, and uh, Lennon lost his mother at age 17. And in fact, Lennon lost his mother after he had met Paul McCartney. Um, so this was sort of, you know, an ongoing thing in his life. And um, so what we have is among these four people who were some of, you know, the, the greatest creative minds that we've, we had in the 20th century, we had uh, people who lost their mother, uh, by the way, all male, who lost their mother between ages 10 and 17 which is a pretty tight grouping. Um, and yeah, so I, 
that was my inspiration. Like, um, okay, these pairs pretty sure didn't know each other, um, even though their, their lives did overlap somewhat. But what can I say was similar about their lives? These are four really intriguing characters, and uh, that's a very, very intriguing overlap. Take us back a little bit, if you will. How did these pairs meet one another, and what was sort of the beginning of their relationship like? Right. So Lewis and Tolkien were both at Oxford. Uh, they were both on faculty uh, in England, and uh, they met in 1926. So uh, a lot had happened in their lives. Um, so like Tolkien was, uh, if I can do the math real quick, 34, uh, Lewis was 28. And uh, not only had there been this loss in their lives, uh, personally in their families before they met, but also they had both served in World War I. So losing their mother was not the only loss. And uh, in fact, both of them lost quite a few friends in World War I. And one of the first things that they did um, after becoming friends, they knew each other and then they, then they became friends, is they formed what's known as the Inklings. And the Inklings was a writer's group uh, which would not only write, but also read each other, you know, their work. And it's been posited uh, in other publications that one reason that uh, this basically all male group was created was because there had been so much loss in World War One. I would suggest on top of that, that Tolkien and Lewis had this uh, definite thing in common uh, in particular, which is the loss of their mothers within, you know, age-wise within two years. Um, and then, uh, let's see, for Lennon and McCartney, um, they were born in the 1940s, um, and they met in 1957. They were pretty young. Uh, Paul McCartney was only 15, uh, only, by the way, one year removed from losing his mother. And uh, John Lennon was uh, 17, a little bit, you know, maybe pushing 18. Um, and he actually would lose his mother, uh, shortly after he met Paul McCartney. Uh, but anyway, they, uh, John Lennon already had a band and, uh, they were called the Quarrymen. And so he invited Paul McCartney to join Paul McCartney invited his friend, George Harrison to join. And then they had uh, kind of this mutual regard for this guy named Ringo Starr. And so eventually they invited him to join and the rest, as they say, is history, but we can get into that. That's really interesting. Would you say in looking back at the lives of these men, that the primary idea of this book is the history of these four characters or would you say it's more the psychology of the loss that they experienced? Well, I think the history is pretty well known. Um, obviously, not necessarily the four of them together. Uh, and maybe that is some unique aspect of considering the history. But 
Uh, yeah, that psychology of loss, uh, it has been explored to some extent, as I said, uh, specifically with Lewis and Tolkien, with regard to the loss that they experienced uh, as a result of World War I. Uh, but I think that there are maybe other things going on. Um, and, you know, we, we have some research that's been done, let's say, in the last 10, 15 years, something like that. It's something called Adverse Childhood Experiences, or ACE. A woman named Laura Sterczewski had an NPR interview back in 2015, and uh, they put up, NPR put up uh, something called the ACE Quiz, ACE being Adverse Childhood Experiences, and allowed people to take the quiz first as an adult, like present day, and then thinking back on their childhood as a child, and then uh, kind of compare the two. And uh, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating thing to know that even in adulthood, you have these influences from these early losses. Um, so there is a website called parentingforbrain.com. And they say the psychological effects of losing a mother or a father during formative years is significant. Children who experience parental loss are at a higher risk for many negative outcomes, including depression, anxiety, somatic complaints, post-traumatic stress symptoms, uh, as well as shorter schooling, uh, like dropping out, less academic success, lower self-esteem, and more sexual risk behaviors. Um, and so obviously uh, this kind of loss has the potential to affect someone literally for the rest of their lives. Um, and these, you know, I will say that by and large, uh, especially C.S. Lewis and John Lennon, uh, these characters were very complicated. Um, they, they are not easy to understand. Uh, if you only understand C.S. Lewis as a theologian or somebody who writes um, children's books or something like that, you do not know much about C.S. Lewis. And likewise, if all you know about John Lennon is that he wrote some songs, uh, this, was, this was a very complicated guy. And they had complicated relationships as a result, um, both Lewis and Lennon. Um, and with older women, um, and you, one could posit that, you know, perhaps there was some attempt to make a substitution uh, for what had been lost earlier. Uh, it was less so with uh, McCartney and Tolkien, but nonetheless, some of that, that influence was there. Yeah. How do you think maybe this type of loss influenced these men by way of their creative efforts and and maybe more broadly what do you think is the influence of loss on creativity from a, a broader spectrum well uh, it's just interesting the juxtaposition of the loss and the friendship and then the creative success uh, for sure both of these pairs of men were being encouraged by the other in terms of their artistic endeavors. Uh, so Lewis and Tolkien met in 1926. 
the friendship formed, the inklings formed. And so, uh, you know, within the inklings, it was always, you know, Tolkien and Lewis who were the ones who were, you know, kind of tooth and nail, if you will, of uh, listening to each other's work and critiquing sometimes quite harshly um, each other's work as well. Uh, and especially uh, the encouragement to publish. Um, in Tolkien's case, this turned out to be absolutely crucial to his history because he had no inclination particularly to publish. Uh, he was happy just to write for himself. And it was Lewis who said, you know, you need to get these things out, you know. Uh, the first of which was The Hobbit. And that was in 1937. And uh, Lewis's first uh, success in publishing, other than poetry, I, I need to say that, uh, because he did consider himself a poet for a while, other than poetry was uh, the book Out of the Silent Planet, which was the beginning actually of a trilogy, which of course he didn't know anything about, uh, in 1938. So these two books uh, came out within one year of each other. And uh, it was to some extent, if you know the story or if you don't, um, due to a coin toss. And uh, basically Lewis flipped this coin and he said, okay, heads, uh, that person is, you know, you're gonna write about time and tales, you're gonna write about science. And so he flipped the coin and Tolkien got time and Lewis got science. And so Tolkien tried to write about time, but he was always devoted to Middle Earth, always, always, you know, for years and years and years. And uh, so he wound up kind of gravitating back to Middle Earth and just picked up this book that he had been working on, which is The Hobbit. And that's what got published. Um, Lewis, on the other hand, this was a brand new idea for him uh, to write about science. And so that's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what out of the silent planet is. So uh, this is only uh, roughly 11, 12 years after meeting. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty quick turnaround. And there was uh, a lot of support for creativity among those guys. Uh, similarly, although with a much shorter timeline, uh, Lennon and McCartney, they met in 1957, uh, their initial success as the Beatles was uh, with the song Love Me Do, came out in 1962, really hit the charts in 1963 uh, in the UK and then also in America, and then they were off to the races. So for them, uh, it was only five or six years, and they would, would just be together nonstop writing music, and, uh, and it wasn't as if you know, one wrote the lyrics and the other wrote the, the music. Uh, it was just this, you know, them both writing both, but at the same time, kind of flipping these ideas off of each other and, and improving each other and challenging each other. There are uh, any number of stories about uh, Paul and John, you know, where John would come out with a song uh, let's say, you know, Strawberry Fields. And then Paul would hear this and say, oh yeah, well, I can do, you know, something better than that. Uh, and he'd come out with Penny Lane. And uh, they were incredibly 
competitive. And I would say that uh, Tolkien and Lewis, to some extent, were like that. Uh, Tolkien probably less so, and that's why he needed encouragement. But I think I think there was a pretty competitive edge edge with Lewis, and especially when the ink, Inklings were together, uh, because they really uh, challenged each other, and uh, and and would just say the harshest things. Uh, the very first thing that Lewis heard from Tolkien, uh, which may have been part of The Hobbit, um, he said, you know, that's nice. I, I think that's a nice story. I tell you what, I'm going to write you a letter and, uh, and I'll just give you, you know, some feedback about your story. And he wrote this scathing letter uh, about what was in the book and, you know, how, how could you possibly include... I mean, all this elven language, oh my goodness, he just couldn't even stand it. And, uh, you know, you need to cut this, cut that, you need to make this longer, you know, whatever. And that's exactly what the Inklings were like. They were, they were a social club, but they were also really hard on each other. And, and I think the same, to some extent, was true of Lennon and Wow. Speaking of these groups, what would you say the role of the gadflies of each group uh, might be, namely Charles Williams for the Inklings and Yoko Ono for the Beatles. Yeah, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jonathan Searcy, and I were talking about this. And um, yeah, you cannot discount uh, the fact that both of these pairs of men uh, had these, uh, we'll call these gadflies, uh, as part of their lives. And both of them disrupted the relationships between the pairs. Um, and, you know, as, as positive in some sense as the relationship was in terms of the, the two men, you know, Lewis Tolkien and then uh, McCartney and Lennon, uh, it, it definitely also did some damage. Uh, Charles Williams is, may not be familiar to any of our listeners, he was a member of the Inklings. He was an author uh, devoted to fantasy. And uh, so he obviously had some things to say about, you know, different people's writings, and that kind of thing. But when C.S. Lewis decided he was going to kind of put down his theology pen, you know, toward the end of the 1940s, and he was going to start writing about children's fantasy, which turned out to be Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, which turned out to be a whole series of books, like who knew? Charles Williams was his advocate. And the thing that you need to understand is that Tolkien hated uh, the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe and everything that followed afterward. Um, he thought it was ridiculous. Um, he thought it was mythology not done well, uh, that, that Lewis was combining mythologies that never should have been combined together. Um, as an example, uh, you know, he actually re reacted <laughs> to Mr. Tumnus, who may be people's favorite character, I don't know, uh, from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's a fawn. And in mythology, you know, Tolkien's uh, position on the thing was that if this was true mythology, rather than inviting Lucy in for tea, he would have raped her uh, because fawns were awful, awful characters. 
but in Lewis's world, that didn't happen. And, and uh, Tolkien just thought this was tragic uh, beyond description. So actually, that was the beginning of their falling out. They actually did have a falling out. There actually was a time where they didn't have a lot to do with each other. And uh, Lewis went off to uh, Cambridge. Uh, Tolkien was still at Oxford. And uh, yeah, they, you know, that, that estrangement did not last, you know, the remainder of their lives, but nonetheless, it was years. Uh, as far as the Beatles go, I think this is a little bit better known. Um, and that is the effect of Yoko Ono on, on the Beatles. Um, John Lennon and Yoko Ono uh, hooked up in 1968-ish. And uh, Yoko was suddenly omnipresent for all of the Beatles recording sessions. And up to that time, it had only ever been the four Beatles. It had only been the guys, you know, and, and not only was it the guys Beatles, but it was the guys who were the, in the recording session. It was the producer and it was the engineer. It was all men just all the time. Now here's this woman, you know, and this creative by the way. And, uh, and she's kind of, you know, they're bouncing ideas off of each other. Yoko Ono and John Lennon, like Lennon and McCartney, have been bouncing ideas off of each other for years. And, you know, a lot of people consider that she was kind of the, the divisive character like Charles Williams uh, was for the Inklings. And that caused a falling out uh, between John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Uh, the Beatles broke up in 1970. And that that lasted for a while and was pretty acerbic. Uh, they would make comments in the press. Uh, Paul McCartney even wrote a song <laughs> that was kind of disparaging of John Lennon. And if you knew any of their background, you knew exactly who it was aimed at. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this, this was a dynamic in both cases, you know, both pairs uh, that had not been there for beginning and so uh, the influence was somewhat positive a lot negative and it definitely affected the creative process it's funny you mentioned that i often think uh, even when we were talking about this the other day about the inclusion of father christmas in the narnian world and how tolkien must not have been too keen on father christmas's arrival Be sure to check us out next week for the conclusion of this week's podcast. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments, those we choose to recognize and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.